and and on the the good news that it is that that death is not the end that that we haven't reached the end of 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 our story when we pass away, but that it's the beginning of an even greater story. Thank you for the assurance that we get in Christ, and thank you that that Jesus died for our sins. Thank you so much for for providing a way for us to be um, to be right with you again. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Oh, there. Um, so I uh, I trying to figure out uh, where to start uh, talking about this because the resurrection is this huge story. Um, and, and there's so much cool stuff to talk about. And I, I was thinking about it, and I, I, my brain kept going back to this uh, day I was in, I was in junior high. Um, and I, I started going to church about three months before, and I was in a catechism class, which we don't do. It was a Lutheran church, and, and so my earliest background in education for, for church is Lutheran. Um, and, and so if you watch, maybe you'll catch me doing Lutheran things. Um, <laughs> but so we're sitting in this class and, and they're talking about, I don't even remember, they were talking about sacrifices in the temple. And I asked the, I asked about, um, um, offering and if that's the same as sacrifice and, and if that's how sin is forgiven. And one of the other kids who was there looked at me and said, well, no, we don't sacrifice anymore because... Because Jesus, Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus was God's sacrifice for our sins. Like, we're forgiven because of Jesus. And I had this moment of, oh, wow, all of this actually sort of fits together and makes sense. Um, and a light bulb went off. And, and you know, I had, I, had, I had had a moment where I prayed that I would follow Jesus. And I had had these times where I, you know, really had been in the scriptures. But that was like the first moment that I understood the gospel. And, like, that moment changed everything. You understand what I'm saying? Like, from that day forward, everything was different. Um, from that day forward, everything I did was, was um, in an understanding that was different. Um, I can think of a whole bunch of instances like this where um, just in the moment, something happened and it just changed everything. Like, where you encounter a truth or a reality and it just alters everything about your life. Any of y'all had those before? Um, I, I I can think of a few actually. I I uh, um, when I met my wife actually was a is a great story. I'm not going to tell right now, but it, there's a lot of prayer and a lot of like, oh wow, God just did that kind of moments building up to it. And and from that day forward, like I knew this is where God was sending me. That, that she was going to be my wife because she was picked to be my wife. And as miserable as it sometimes has been, and it's been more happy than miserable. Um, <laughs> I, I've always known this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to stick with it. Um, so as we dive into the resurrection story, the reason I'm, I'm starting with this is, um, what we're seeing here is we're seeing an event. We're seeing the event that changes everything. It changes everything for the church. It changes everything in history. It changed everything for the people who were present. And people reacted different ways and responded in different ways. And so we're going to dive into this text, and we're going to look at at um, how the resurrection impacts us, um, and how, how um, honestly, what choices we have. Um, now, after the Sabbath, this is in the book of Matthew. Matthew's gospel is kind of the Jewish gospel. He's the most Jewish of the, of the gospel writers, which is great because you can learn a great deal of deep material from, from Matthew because he tends to diet, di- excuse me, tie the, the message of the gospel to like the rabbinical uh, thought and to, to the Jewish movements and everything else. I mean, you get a lot of depth there. Um, so Matthew starts out, now after the Sabbath, so Jesus has been crucified He's in the grave. 
um, you know, for the Sabbath. And then on the Sunday, uh, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So Jesus was buried very hastily, right? Um, because they wanted to get him in the grave before the sun went down and the Sabbath started. Because at that point in time, you couldn't bury him. And so they're, they're rushing to get him in the grave. And what we find out from Mark is that they're going to embalm him properly. Um, which is not a small thing, um, because you would carry, I mean, like a hundred pounds of spices for the purpose of embalming. I mean, it was a really involved thing. And actually, if you weren't dead, embalming would kill you. Um, kind of a funny thing there. But they went, and like Mark reveals, that they went and they bought spices, and they went to the tomb, and they were sort of wondering, well, how are we going to open this thing? Um, what are we going to do to get in? And they don't know, but the tomb itself actually has the seal, um, the Roman seal on it, and so like it's a death penalty offense to open it. Um, and so like they were going to get there, and they weren't going to get in. The guards weren't going to open it for them. Nobody was going to help them out. Like, they were going to arrive, and that was going to be it. They were going to have a whole lot of extra spices, and, and you know, and that was it. I mean, there, no one was opening this tomb. Um, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled, the stone, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. Um, there's a handful of angelic appearances around the resurrection. This is one. Um, I read a really interesting discussion as to whether or not the angel caused the earthquake, or if this is an aftershock of the earthquake that... that happened during the crucifixion. And actually, I kind of like that one because it, it fits as a cool story moment. Like the death of Christ for the sins of, of the world, literally for our sins, like taking punishment for our sins, is an earthquake that reverberates through history, right? I mean, all of us who are awful, um, we have hope now. All of us who, who know that we're spiritually poor and that we're, we're, you know, born dead in our sins, like, we have hope now, we have a future, we have eternity because God forgives us. And now the bigger earthquake um, happens and it's the stone rolling away and the tomb being empty. Um, the significance here, by the way, on Sunday, that'd be three days, so Friday... Saturday and Sunday. This is how Jewish people would count days. Um, on the third day, according to Jewish-like understanding, you were definitely dead, right? Until that point, you were mostly dead. And the moment the stone is rolled away, you are really dead. Or no, excuse me, the moment the third day hits, you are really dead. Everybody with me? Um, and I assume that's because they had really poor medical understanding and sometimes people would get up and walk away after being dead for a day. Um, only not dead. Um, but so the angel comes and he is impressive. Like this is an impressive moment. Um, and everyone around is terrified. And no doubt they have a good reason, right? Um, there is an angel there. A big, you know, probably not with wings. That's a Middle Ages kind of addition. Um, big shining white clothing, impressive. It is an angel. And the angel has rolled away the stone and um, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Um, these are Roman soldiers uh, on loan from uh, probably, you know, the, the, the local leadership. They would have loaned guards to the uh, temple so that, so that they had additional authority because the Jews only had so much authority in their own city. These were probably Roman soldiers. They guarded tombs in a very specific way, or they guarded anything in a very specific way. Um, and it was a serious business. If you were a guard 
for example, falling asleep as a guard um, could get you lashed, you, you whipped, right? It could get you executed. Um, these guys were serious, but like these hardened soldiers, the angel shows up and they fall down on the ground like dead men. They are terrified of what's taking place. Um, and honestly, they, they react in fear, and who wouldn't, right? Um, but the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, I lost my spot. As he said, so Jesus told he says, Hey, Jesus isn't here, he's risen, like he told you he would. Um, and you've got to think that this is a light bulb turning on moment for these folks, right? I mean, it's not as though nobody's mentioned it up until now. Like, they've been saying, hey, you know, Jesus had said over and over again, don't worry, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. You know, the, <laughs> you'll see the sign of Jonah, I'll spend three days in the grave and come back. This shouldn't be a surprise, but, but they didn't understand. And the resurrection is a starting point for people understanding Christ's mission and Christ's work and the future that we have. Like, this is a huge deal. Um, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now, Jesus actually told them, once I'm crucified, go to Galilee and wait for me. And so the angel's just repeating what Jesus said. Um, this is a huge deal, right? And at this point in time in history, these folks have some decisions to make. This is um, a life-changing moment. And you, you actually will begin to see the life-changing effect of this moment on everybody around them. Um, but these angels, like this angel tells them, hey, he's alive, he is, he's back. And actually from this day forward, death is no longer an issue. Like, we, we all will die one day, right? I mean, except for those of us who are here when Jesus shows up again, um, but we don't know when that's going to happen. Um, but for all the mourning, for all the tears, for all the weight that we carry when folks pass away, for, for all of the inside of us that knows it's not right and that the world is broken, um, today sets it right. Like, today sets it right that... that all of us will be physically resurrected. All of us will stand before God. And Jesus is the first fruits of that. He's the first sign that it's coming. Um, and so this announcement is huge. Um, it changes history. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. So they're overwhelmed and they're happy, but they're also afraid. And who wouldn't be, right? Um, Anybody ever stand on the precipice of something huge in your life and it's a good thing, but you're also a little terrified? I mean, it's like standing on the edge of the cliff. I remember um, years ago, in, uh, I was in northern Minnesota and, and we were out in the Boundary Waters and this big rock in the middle of a lake. And the water around this rock is super deep. And so you would watch and people would jump off this rock and it's like a 40-foot drop. I mean, it's a drop. And we had a group of, of clients from the children's home, and we went, we climbed up there, and everybody took turns jumping off this rock into the water, and I went up there, and it took me about 35 attempts to step off of the edge, right? Um, and I don't know why, you know, like, because once you do it, and you're in the air, it's like, wow, this is the most incredible moment. You hit the water, and that's incredible, but there's a terror and a joy that fills you up. And i got to think that, that these gals, these women who came to the tomb, um, 
that they had to be afraid because it's something huge. This is a world-changing event. It is happening now. <laughs> They're at the cornerstone of history. Um, and it had to be terrifying. Probably another reason. In the first century, um, women had a different sort of legal and social status, right? Um, women couldn't own property. They couldn't drive. They couldn't, you know, um, they, had, they couldn't testify in court. They couldn't, uh, the drive thing was a joke. They, there were no cars. Um, the <laughs> but they couldn't testify in court is one of the biggest things, right? Like, like if, a, if a woman witnessed a murder, she was not able to testify that she saw it. It was better to have no testimony than to have the testimony of a woman in the first century. So um, one of the great arguments about, about um, the story of the gospel, like people would say, well, um, Jesus was never raised. Well, what about the witnesses? These first first witnesses were women. I mean, like, if you were going to invent a story, would you have the person who can't testify, like, testify? (laughs) And this is a recurring pattern in the Gospels, because the first people who saw Jesus born were shepherds, right? And shepherds were in the same boat. First century Jews were not very nice to people they didn't like, and they didn't like shepherds much, right? Because they didn't go to church, because otherwise who would watch their sheep? And um, and they usually smelled bad, and they kind of lived outside, and it was not a really, like, great profession. Um, I'm sure goat herders were well-loved, but sheep herders, not at all. Um, <laughs> the, but but these, <laughs> these, these folks also would not have been able to testify. God has this great habit of picking the losers and drawing them in and making them the centerpiece of the story. And here it is. Jesus is the centerpiece of the story, and the people who witness it are... The ones who can't testify about it. And they ran to tell the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so Jesus stops. I mean, it actually, it's funny because the angel said, Hey, send them to Galilee. Y'all will see them there. And Jesus just shows up along the way because he's, because he's Jesus, I'm guessing, right? Like, he can do whatever he wants. Um, I love uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, Narnia books, right? Um, there's a great line in those books. Uh, you, know, he's, he, you know, Aslan is the Jesus character in those. And he's not a tame lion. He kind of does what he wants. You know, he goes where he wants. He acts the way he wants to act. He, he you know, he is, he is a dangerous He's a dangerous character, right? And Jesus is kind of the same way. Like, he's unsettled their world and, and given a commitment as to when he's going to show up, and then he shows up um, earlier than planned. Um, and he stands there, and they drop down, they grab his feet, which is a sign of, like, utter submission, and they worship him. And he says, hey, I know you're afraid, but trust me, right? You know, there, there's another important thing here. Um, for many years, there was a, um, Arius was the guy's name. He was a heretic in the uh, second and third century. And, and this fellow came along, and what he said was, um, Jesus was not raised from the dead. He was a ghost. And, like, they grabbed his feet, right? Like, in this, this cool thing, like, when you read this story, um, Jesus has a glorified body. He's different. But at the same time, he is physically there. They touch him. They put their fingers in the holes in his hands, and they, they eat food with him and things like that. I mean, there's this huge, like, he is physically alive again. Um, and, and again, like, we like in the church, this is actually another very early heresy, 
where folks believed that when you were resurrected in the end times, you would not be physically resurrected, you would be a spirit, you'd have wings, and you'd live on clouds, and everything would be, you know, spiritual and all that. And that's not it at all. Like, the world we live in is the world we were designed to live in. Got it? Um, If I own a fish, my fish is designed to live in one environment, right? My fish tank, that's it. Like, it doesn't live anywhere else. And if it goes anywhere else, it doesn't do well in that setting. We are designed to live in this world, and we will be physically resurrected. There will be a physical resurrection, and that is a promise we receive. Um, It's a promise worth banking on. Honestly, I remember, uh, golly, it's been probably 14, 15 years, I went to, or 18, wow, that was a long time ago, Um, I had an aunt who died. Um, and and uh, after a long bout with cancer, and I remember going to her funeral, and she she knew she was going to die, and she she wrote a letter, and in that letter she talked about, hey, you know what? I know you're crying, but I'm I'm with Jesus in eternity now, like I'm I'm fine, you know. Find him, follow him, and come join me. Um, that's a perspective, ain't it? Um, probably. Eight or nine years ago, uh, my wife and I, we, we, we had an awful thing. We lost, a, we lost a baby. It was awful. It was one of the most painful experiences I think we've ever had. Sound about right, honey? Um, and one of my pastor friends sat down with me during lunch one day, and he said, Eric, um, I know how bad it is. He had lost a 16-year-old daughter. She died in a car wreck. And he said, you know what? Like, at the moment that happened, the reality of the resurrection became super important to me because one day I will hold my daughter again you know and we'll stand before Jesus and that's it like no one is gone forever um, and one day everyone will stand again um, before Christ and 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 he'll judge us based on how we were to him not how good we are not how holy we are not how many services we showed up to not whether or not we knew every single lyric to the old rugged cross it'll be did you follow Jesus? Did you submit to him? Did he save you? Um, golly, that's good news, isn't it? Like, he is risen. And it's proof positive. It's indisputable proof that all of this is true. While they were going, excuse me, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by, came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this were and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him to keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread amongst the Jews of this day. Um, or to this day. This is actually kind of a crazy little moment. Um, first off, it's not a very good lie. Right? Like, if you're going to tell a lie, it's important to tell convincing lies. Don't tell lies. I'm not recommending that. Don't misquote me on this matter. <laughs> but, like, as far as lies go, the disciples, having run into the temple guards and, well, the temple guards, not even Roman soldiers. These guys are elite, and the temple guards are like mall cops. Got it? Like, they ran away terrified. No offense to mall cops, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but they ran away terrified. Actually, one of them, probably, um, 
probably Mark, I, like, as he was running away, one of the guards grabbed his clothes and he pulled out of his clothes and ran away naked. If you get beat up so bad that the bully sends you home naked, you are not tough. Everybody with me? The guard's story is the disciples came and bravely rescued the body of, their, of Jesus, like, in order to concoct this lie. Probably not. Right? And actually, in second service, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, where we learn about all of the people Jesus appeared to. Um, and actually, even then, beyond that, these guys who got beat up real bad and ran away, and then didn't recover Jesus' body, every one of them was tortured, beaten, starved, and eventually executed, swearing they saw Jesus alive again. Um, and it's a life-changing moment. They went from weak and cowardly to... People who would go anywhere and do anything because their perspective had changed. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the, mountain, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now watch this. Some doubted. Um, there's a lot of discussion as to what it means. Ultimately, all eleven of them basically followed Jesus to the death, right? Um, and so doubted might mean that they were like, well, really? I suspect that the question was, Oh my gosh, what do we do now? You know what I mean? You know, where you back up and you look at an event and you think, what does this mean for us? What are we supposed to do? Um, ultimately, we know that, that like history reveals that, that all of them believed ultimately and all of them went a long way in that belief. Um, but some of them were unsure, like, what do we do now? Um, and I suspect that Jesus caught that and said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, and that's where Matthew ends his gospel with a great commission. Like, this is the summary, what this story is about. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose again. And because of that, we have eternity ahead of us. And we have to live like eternity is true, right? We pursue it like it's a real thing. We know this life isn't the end. How many toys I accumulate ain't going to determine if I win or not. Got it? Um, if I... If everybody esteems me the most, you know, I'm the most loved and most revered, and I walk into eternity without Jesus, eternity ain't going to be all that fun. Um, our perspective on life should be shaped by this reality because this is an earthquake um, in history, and it's an earthquake in our lives. I remember, golly, that'd be 13 years ago, um, I hit a point where I was at rock bottom where I'd walked away from, from following Jesus, and I, I had become just really broken and, and lost. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I had this moment where I think the Holy Spirit inspired me to, to beg for forgiveness. And I, I changed from that point. And I changed every day beyond that because I knew Jesus died for all of that awful stuff I did. And one day I'm going to stand before him. Like, like the resurrection is proof, proof positive of that claim. Like, the resurrection is proof that one day I'll stand before Jesus. One day I'll, I'll have to deal with him. One day I'll answer for all of this. And one day, you know, one day this is all going to matter. Um, so what do we do with this perspective? Well, we can take several options here. Um, we can back up and be afraid of it and do nothing. Right? I mean, there's always a temptation in that. 
And I've talked to folks who will vacillate. Well, how do I know Jesus is really, you know, real? How do I know this? How do I know that? How am I going to give up the only life I have for something I can't really be sure of? Or, you know, well, it scares me to have to sacrifice things for Jesus. I, you know, all of this stuff. And, and I mean, that's an option. Um, we can treat it like window dressing, right? I have several hobbies. In fact, my wife teases me that I collect hobbies, so it's not that I have several hobbies. I have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> and those hobbies are things that I do when I have time. Um, I'm, I'm teaching myself to play a musical instrument right now, so for about a half hour a day I spend time um, trying to learn how to read sheet music and trying to learn how to have rhythm. By the way, that is impossible. Um, but we can treat the resurrection, we can treat Jesus like a hobby, right? Sit down, I got my half hour of Jesus time, got my Sunday morning in, got Christmas, got Easter, I'm done. But man, if Jesus really rose from the dead, if Jesus is really an indication of what eternity looks like, if go forth into all the world baptizing nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, like if this is a real thing, then it ain't a hobby. It's an earthquake. Like, it's an earthquake that impacts every moment. It's an earthquake that should scare us. It is a future that should scare us. Um, I, I, I know there's quite a few people in this room that can say the same thing, but I know that following Jesus sometimes means that he'll say, go over there and do this thing, and I'll do it. I didn't want to move to Montana. In fact, of all the places that I said I would never go, Montana was at the top of the list, right over California. And I applied for this job just because it was on the list. And when we came here, I was like, man, Jesus is going to make us to move, move to Montana. <laughs> this is what we're going to have to do. And I'm grateful for it. I would never want to be anywhere else like other than in God's will. And I love it here, and I love y'all. But it is a scary thing that Jesus might make you do something you don't want to do, Right? Like, submitting to someone as Lord is scary because it puts that person in power over you. And man, I love being in control. I do. I love having my hands on the steering wheel. I hate riding passenger. I don't even like driving, but I don't want to be a passenger. <laughs> and I don't like backseat drivers because I'm in control and you just need to accept that I know what I'm doing even if it looks like I'm lost. <laughs> or not paying attention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reality is like, like we can treat it like window dressing or we can do what the disciples did what these, what these women did like the, the women who saw the, re, you know, the resurrected Christ first like we, we, we have to make decisions about this um, we can treat it like a life changing event we can know that he is risen and instead of just saying that on Sunday morning we can rush around and make sure that the folks around us know and we can live lives that reflect that reality, right? Because I know folks who are believers who live like there's no tomorrow, right? I, I, this, I don't remember his name, but there's a TV evangelist who, who is obviously abusing his position. I know it's shocking of TV evangelists. Um, <laughs> but he, he talked about how God, like, God wants me to have a Gulfstream jet, Right? Jesus wants me to have it, and that's why I have to. And you know what? I can't fly coach. I have to have this because Jesus says I have to have it. I don't want to be in that guy's shoes one day, right? 
because he's enjoying now. He's enjoying now a lot. And he's living life like today is all there is. And there's going to be a day he's going to stand before Jesus and he's going to have a Gulfstream jet behind him and he's going to have a lot of explaining to do. And it's going to be awful. Like a resurrected life, a life focused on this reality um, is completely different. And by the way, Paul gives us another hint. We'll talk a little bit about this in the next sermon um, at 11. But the resurrection starts like in us. There will be a physical resurrection. But like, there's a version of Eric that is dead and has been dying slowly for decades. That's the old man Eric, the wicked Eric. And the more old man I become, the less that old man Eric like, is a part of the story. Because in my heart, in my soul, God has like, made me alive and made me new. Like I was dead in my sins and trespasses and I'm alive in Christ. And every day, every day, every day I'm made sanctified and I'm made new and I'm made holy and I'm made pure. And some days it doesn't look like it and some days it does. And if you knew me 20 years ago, you'd know that it's happening. Um, but the resurrected life is living like I'm becoming a new man. Um, I, I, uh, zombie movies are very popular right now, and I sometimes think that Christians fall into the trap of believing that resurrected life for them is a little like being a zombie. You know, you, you wander through life mindlessly, you don't enjoy anything, you're mostly dead inside anyway, you don't smile, you don't sing, you don't enjoy, and then you bite the people around you. Um, because that's what most Christians do. <laughs> In reality, resurrected life is about loving the folks around you and spreading new life and showing Jesus to the people you encounter and living a life that you don't even have to say it because people know that he is risen. Um, guys, as we celebrate Easter, as we enjoy this day, um, remember, like, he, there's an empty tomb that was an earthquake, um, an earthquake in history, an earthquake in, in the lives of everyone who encounters Christ. Um, and my challenge for you today, I always end with a challenge, my challenge for you today is to look at your heart and look at your life and ask, like, has that earthquake happened? Like, am I still feeling aftershocks? Um, or am I hiding in my bunker? Am I standing next to the guards, like with a window dressing version of the story? Um, let's close in prayer. And I guess breakfast in about 10 minutes? Unless we have an early bird special.